Well, Happy New Year to all of you. I'm really happy that you still have the Christmas trees up right now because I absolutely love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. Um, and if you're anything like me, you have a really, really, really hard time saying goodbye to Christmas. And you're like really deeply saddened that Christmas is behind us and is so far away from us. Does anybody else feel that way? Is that just me? Okay, cool. Um, but also, it's, it's a new year. And that's an amazing thing as well. We have this opportunity to look into a new year, which many people on social media are like, it's not a new year, it's a new decade. And so uh, another way to, for us to dream big and see what God has for us in the future, which I think is great too, and so it's a difficult balance for me anyway. Um, I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm thankful that you all have invited me back to preach God's Word here. Um, probably my favorite part about this morning, uh, no offense to any of you, you're all great and I love you, but my wife is here, and my wife hardly gets to see me preach because she's a children's pastor, and so she's always doing ministry on Sundays. So this is a, a treat for me, at least. Um, I just want to open up with a quick prayer, and then I just want to dive in. And, and if you have your Bible, again, we're going to be in John 4 today, mostly there. There's a, other, a couple of other places we'll turn to if you want to turn there, but hopefully we'll have everything on that screen for you, and hopefully that you can read it. So would you join me as I pray? Father, thank you, God, that we are here for you. Something that you have done inside of us has caused us to want to be here. So God, I pray that I would step aside, that you would walk in. Holy Spirit, I pray for your presence. I, I pray, God, that you would touch people's lives this morning, people's hearts, whatever it might be that people came in here with. I pray that they would encounter the living God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, two years ago, I went skiing um, for my bachelor party up in Colorado. Um, me and my friends, typically we go to New Mexico, but this year, that year, I went to Colorado because it was my bachelor party. It was typically more expensive, um, but it was a, a nice trip for us. So we went up there in some of the best mountains to ski on in North America. Beautiful Colorado mountains. Amazing trip, my bachelor party, everything's about me, all things being paid for for me, that's the way it should be, my bachelor party. But on that trip, I got so sick. I honestly think that's the most sick I've ever been in my life. I don't remember being that sick. It was miserable. I w it was just an awful experience. And I, so I was so sick that I only got to ski two or one out of the three days we were there. So the other two days I was in bed the whole time. Um, it was awful. It was a terrible, terrible experience. And so my friends would come back to the cabin and they would tell me, man, that was the best snow we've skied on in our lives. And I'm like, that doesn't help. And so because I was so sick, I had to, I just had to take myself to the doctor. I didn't know any doctors in Colorado. And it's not just that we're in Colorado, we're in the mountains. And so that was a struggle and a horrible experience in and of itself, getting myself to the doctor, driving there. In fact, I almost tripped like once or twice on the way there. It was icy, and you know how it goes in mountains in the winter. And so it was horrible. It was a horrible experience. And so I go to the doctor, and um, they run a couple of tests on me. And this is what he tells me. He comes back. I'm thinking, you have pneumonia. You have like a horrible fever. Uh, you have the flu. Like this is what I was expecting. Because I promise I'm not a huge drama queen. I mean, I was really sick. And so he comes back and he tells me, you have altitude sickness. And I'm thinking, there is no way. I go skiing every year. Maybe I should doctor you and give you a little insight 
because I don't get altitude sickness. And so here's what he did next after he tells me I have altitude sickness. I'm completely disagreeing with this man. Um, he says, or he asks me, how much water have you been drinking? And I'm thinking, water? No. It was my bachelor party. I'm drinking Red Bull and Coke and coffee because I don't drink alcohol. It's my bachelor party, so a bunch of caffeine was like the ne- next best thing. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I wasn't drinking any water at all. And the problem is, the higher you go in elevation, your oxygen level begins to decrease. So your ability to breathe and, and actually live and have life actually begins to decrease as well. And so it was in that moment, really the next day, as I was again bedridden the whole day and drinking lots and lots and lots of water, I began to realize just how valuable water is. To be honest with you, water is life. We need water to survive. You and I, we could go a long time without food. We can. But water, most of our bodies are made up of water. Water truly is life. And in our story today, we're going to see just how valuable water is. But what we're going to see that's even greater than water is that Jesus offers us something much better than water. In fact, Jesus offers us something even better than life itself. And that's what I'm excited to preach to you today. So this guy, this this man named John, he wrote this gospel, the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was really close with Jesus. Jesus poured into John's life for three years during his ministry. In fact, the Bible says that John was the disciple in whom Jesus loved. It does not say that about any other disciple. And so John, he starts out his gospel, the narrative he's writing of Jesus' life. And John 1, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And then if you go to the first book of the Bible, the first chapter, the first verse, Genesis 1.1, the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so what John is telling us right off the bat, right out of the bat, is that Jesus is the pre-existent God who was there in the beginning. He spoke the universe into existence. All things were made through him. So John is doing something that not or the other three Gospels aren't doing. He is starting out at the true core and heart of who Jesus really is. And then if you go back to John 1 and you scroll down to verse 14, this is what John says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So God stepped out of glory and into humanity and became just like us. And so why does John start out this way? Well, John actually tells us why he starts out his gospel this way. He says in John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things are written so that you may have life in him. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. And it is important for all of us to know exactly who Jesus is as we step into our story today. And so, if you have your Bible with you, excuse me, let's open up to John chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through 
Samaria. Here's my main point this morning. I have my Bible, but I have all my scripture on my iPad. It's just much easier for me to read it off that. But I just want you to know, all scripture, God breathed from my Bible. I'm just not going to read it from my Bible. Here's my main point that I want to tell you this morning. Here's what I want you to leave with. Here's what I want to challenge all of us with. The people who are furthest from God are oftentimes the people that God wants us closest to. The people who are furthest from God are oftentimes the people that God wants us closest to. So verse 4 says, he had to pass through Samaria. No, he didn't. Jesus did not have to pass through Samaria. I have this map up here because I wanted to be fancy and impress all of you. You see, Jesus and his disciples were in the Jerusalem area in northern uh, Judea. They had to go to uh, Galilee, to Nazareth, okay? So it was common. It was normal. It was the correct way for them to go would have been to go around Samaria. Now, I read that this would have added about three days of their time or for their journey. It would have added about three days. But if you see from Jerusalem to Nazareth, going through Samaria was a straight shot, just a complete straight shot. So it would be obvious to go through Samaria. However, it was common in those days for Jews to avoid Samaria altogether. Now, why is that? Well, hundreds of years before, the Assyrian army, this powerhouse of a nation, came in and uh, invaded northern Israel. So at that time, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. And Assyria came in and took over the land uh, of the northern kingdom. And over time, through generations, Samaria was introduced to all kinds of foreign gods, foreign religions, false doctrines, false teachings, um, contrary to Jewish beliefs. And so over time... Samaria began to drift from Jewish law, from Jewish ways. And then tension arose between Jews and Samaritans. And now, where Jesus is in his time, there's this cultural, ethnic, racial divide between Jews and Samaritans, where Jews were to avoid Samaria altogether. So Jesus and his disciples, they had to pass through Samaria. It was kind of like this. Um, I lived in Lubbock for uh, like a year and a half. This was many, many, many years ago. Um, but I lived there, and if you know anything about college football and Texas Tech football, are there any Red Raiders here? That's fantastic. I don't, I don't care. I didn't graduate from there. But I was there, um, and I went to a few football games. And if you know anything about college football and the rivalry that occurs, Texas Tech, one of their big rivals was OSU Cowboys. Well, I'm at this game, and if you know anything about college football in general, you know that these students, they hydrate hours before the game. And we're not talking about water. And so they become just people who have no moral, ethnic values. They become savages. They do not like their opponents. And so there's this OSU football fan who's right in the center of the student section at the uh, Texas Tech football stadium. Like, why would you do that to yourself? All kinds of words being spoken to this young poor man who's decked out in his OSU uh, gear. He didn't deserve, but he did it to himself, honestly. Why would he put himself there? That's just a terrible decision. And the fact is, Texas Tech football fans, they throw tortillas at you. So I don't understand what that young man was thinking. And here's the issue. I think that Jesus' disciples are wondering the same thing about Jesus. What is he thinking? Does he not know that we don't pass through Samaria? We don't go through there? So the question now becomes, did Jesus take a wrong turn? Was Jesus lost? Here in a couple of verses, we're going to see that Jesus was tired, so maybe he was delirious. Maybe he was lost. 
It was hot, and they walked everywhere that they went. They didn't have Uber. They couldn't pull out their smartphones and get a lift. They couldn't afford donkeys. They walked everywhere they went. It's kind of like this. This is the way I thought about it. Imagine that you are on like 635 or some main highway, and you're in bumper-to-bumper traffic. And so you pull out your phone, you put in your GPS, and you're looking for an alternative route. And so you're taking that alternative route, and then through all the turns and twists and roundabouts, you start to think, this couldn't possibly be taking me where I need to go. There's no way that all these turns and twists are taking me where I need to go. But here's the thing about God. Oftentimes, we think God would never take us off the beaten path, that he would never lead us into unfamiliar territory, a new place that we're uncomfortable with, a new place that we don't recognize. And that is just simply not the case. That is not the God of the Bible. So why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? Now look closely at those two words, had to, and the Greek had to means necessary. There is a need of. And so the truth is Jesus did have to pass through Samaria. It was necessary for him. There was a need there. In fact, we're about to see there was a woman there, and Jesus had plans to change her life. Let's pick up verse 5. So we came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus and this woman, they're at Jacob's well. This woman, which is a historical place, by the way, Jesus, uh, this woman comes up to draw water from the well, and Jesus is tired, it tells us. He's wearied. He's, he's exhausted from his journey, um, and he needs, he needs to rest. He needs to drink of water. He needs some hydration. On a side note, some of you need to hear this today. Jesus was tired. He was worn down. He was exhausted from his journey, and he needed some rest. He needed some water because water is important. And when you're dehydrated, you want water. And so Jesus proves that to us. Let me ask you a question. How often do you get tired? How often are you exhausted from the craziness of life, the busyness of life? Isn't it good to know that we have a Savior who can identify with our most basic needs? I think that's amazing. So Jesus, he's at this well And this woman comes up to draw water. And the Bible says it was about the sixth hour. So it's in the middle of the day. It's right around noontime. It's lunchtime. It's in the afternoon. It's hot. Any of you like to go outside in the middle of the day in August? No? Better yet, picture this setting. This is for the men. Men, picture picture the setting. It's August. It's the hottest time of day. You're setting the table for lunch with you and your family, and you look at your wife and you say, hey, babe, um, can you go draw some water for us? Um, I know the well is like several hundred yards away, and I know it's hot, but would you mind doing that for us? The water jars, they're in the garage. It's fine. That wouldn't go over well, would it? Love you. That would not be a real thing. That would not be a reality. Otherwise, there needs to be some... Uh, psychologist in their conversation. So why would this woman go now? 
Why would she go in the hottest part of the day? You know, drawing water at this time um, in, in that culture was a, a time for women to go and do it where they can mingle together. They could, they could share stories together. I mean, women went in the coolest part of the day, in the morning or early in the evening. They wouldn't go in the hottest part of the day. And so this is the time for them to get together, to catch up, to swap stories, maybe talk about their fellow townspeople. I don't know, maybe perhaps say how ridiculous it is that they're the ones drawing water and the men aren't. By the way, it's not as if they were able to open up their hatch on their SUV and just put all the water jars in, in the back of their SUV and then drive back into town. They walked. This was not like an easy and simple task. This took real work. Maybe to help with your imagery here, I went to Uganda, Africa a couple of summers ago, and I got this picture of this woman drawing water. You can see her water jars. They're not actual jars. They're something else, but like, it's, it's a real thing even today. People walk like a long time to get water because water is life. And so it was a big deal then. And so why now? Like if all of the other women are going in the morning when it's the coolest part of the day, when all of the other women are there and they can catch up and swap stories or whatever, why is she going in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day? Maybe she just likes her alone time. I mean, I, if you're like me, you like quiet time every now and then. You like to be alone. But maybe this was on purpose. Because maybe, just maybe, she's trying to avoid people altogether. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So again, there's this cultural, ethnic, racial divide between Samaritans and Jews. Jews avoided Samaria altogether. But here's another interesting fact. The last thing that anybody would have expected in this moment was for Jesus to address this woman in conversation. Like at this time in their culture, for a man to engage in conversation with a woman, especially a Jewish man, especially a rabbi, like a teacher of the scriptures, it would have been a total shock to the, not only the Jewish system, but to all systems. The normal outcome for this situation would have been for Jesus to not have said a single word to this woman, for him to have done nothing. That would have been considered normal. But Jesus shows us that the people who are furthest from God, those are the people that God wants us closest to. Those are the people that that God wants the church to engage with. And we're about to see why. Verse 10, And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, Jesus says. Can I just say, what a privilege it is for us to know the gift of God. This living water that leads to eternal life. It's totally and completely undeserving for all of us, yet given to us by His grace, by His power, by His authority, because He loves us. We know this gift, this gift of God. You know, the other day I was talking with my wife in the car, and we were just talking about a certain situation. And um, in that situation, she used this scripture reference that like directly tied into that situation. And I thought, man, that's amazing. And like a week or two later, I was thinking about that conversation, about that situation, how my wife used this scripture reference that completely, fully, directly tied into that situation. And I thought, man, like, I just started praising God in prayer in that moment. I just thanked God that, that my wife, that he knew him, 
that, that he, that she, or excuse me, that she knew him, that she worships him, that she knows this gift, this gift of God, this, this living water that leads to eternal life, that, that from a young age, my wife has known that God loves her, that he sent his son to die for her, that, that when he raised from the dead, she too could be raised to new life with him. And I thank God that I know that gift. That I was, it was totally undeserved. This gift of God, Jesus is talking about. What, what a privilege it is. You know, there are people today, maybe they're your neighbors, maybe they're your family members, maybe they're your coworkers, just friends, and they don't know this gift. They don't know the gift of God. Maybe they weren't raised to know it. Maybe they haven't encountered God at some point in their lives. Maybe they haven't been invited to church. They haven't heard of this gift. Or maybe they reject it. Maybe they have no idea that it exists. They're far from God, and they don't know this free gift of living water that leads to eternal life. So maybe you're asking yourself this question, what is living water? Here's my answer. It is a one-time, long-lasting solution to the problems of your life. A one-time, long-lasting solution to the problems of your life. You say, what do you mean, Nate? Jesus is saying to this woman and to you and me today that I want to make you a new person. I want to clean you from the inside out. I want to bury your sinful nature, and I want to raise you to new life in me. Jesus is saying, I have the ability to make you a new creation. I have the ability to make you whole again. Everything that's buried far down in beneath your soul that is just weight, the weight on your shoulders that is keeping you from having fullness of life, Jesus is saying, I want to get rid of all that. Not by your doing, not by anything you could do, not by anything you could say, not by a prayer that you can pray, simply by my grace. It is a gift, the gift of God, Jesus calls it, living water that leads to eternal life, where he makes you, cleans you out from the inside out and causes you to be a new person. That's living water. And that's what Jesus is offering this woman, and that's what Jesus is offering you and me today says, I want to give you a clean heart. I want to make you a new creation. The Apostle Paul says it like this, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, a new has come. A new person. A brand new person. I love what the prophet Ezekiel says. Mind you, this is, this is God speaking. Uh, Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. Everything from your past, gone. Every mistake, every failure, every nasty, filthy thing that's come out of your mouth, every bad, evil deed that you've done, gone in an instant of belief. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what God is saying in his word. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. The things that we're placing in front of God in our lives, he says, I will clean you from all of it. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What a gift it is for God to put his Holy Spirit in us, and it actually gives us a desire to want to follow him. It actually gives us a desire to want to walk in his statutes, to want to obey his word. This is not something we have to do on our own. God gives us his spirit, and it causes us to have a desire to want to know him, to want to follow him, to want to worship him. 
You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all of your uncleanliness. This is the Word of God speaking to us today. And so Jesus, He offers this woman this gift of God. Living water, He calls it. He's saying, I'm going to put My Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit, it's going to dwell inside you. The living God will live in you. This is not a... uh, I have to come to church to experience the fullness of God. No, God's saying you can experience my fullness inside of yourself by Him putting His Holy Spirit in you. This is the kind of gift that's totally free. Nothing is required. Nothing is owed in return, rather. Nothing is owed in return. Free gift. And Jesus says to her, if you knew this gift, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus says that this free gift, this gift of God, this living water, is the kind of water that doesn't come from this well or that well, but it comes from another source. And it's important for us to know that Jesus is not offering this woman a drink of water. He's offering her something brand new, something that only exists between Jesus and this woman. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water. See, this water, or this woman, still thinks that this conversation is about water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This may seem harsh, because nobody wants to be called out. But Jesus addresses the very thing that's brought her to the well in the first place. He exposes her weaknesses, the place that's deep within her soul that hurts the most. The things that have ultimately left her unsatisfied and unfulfilled. Why does Jesus do that? Well, he tells her. He says, you know what? You're right. You don't have a husband. Um, And the guy, you've, you've had five husbands, in matter of fact, and the guy you're living with now... He's not your husband. You're right in saying that. That's why you're here with me at this well in the middle of the day. You know, to be divorced one time in this woman's day is enough for her fellow townspeople to just look down on her, to cast her out. Being divorced for a woman was worse than any other failure. It was a a separation from a people. It was isolation. It was public humiliation. She was ostracized. She was alone. And the only thing that fills this woman, her emptiness, that void, was other relationships. She spent her entire adult life, I imagine, trying to fill that void, longing for someone to love her, longing to be valued, longing to be cared for, longing for someone to look at her and just see value and see worth. So she's trying to fill that void with other relationships. And if it couldn't get any worse for this woman, she hasn't had just one divorce. She's had five. Five times she's been left behind. 
Five times she's been kicked to the dirt. Felt abandoned. This woman, in her day, in her culture, would have been basically considered the scum of the earth. The last place that she wants to go is to that well in the middle of the day. Because it reminds her of how empty she is. It reminds her of her past, of her current situation. It reminds her of how shattered she's become. And this is precisely why Jesus exposes her. Because he has compassion on her. Because he loves her. He shares with her what it is that's brought her there in the first place. He tells her why she's empty. Nobody wants to be told why they're empty. Let me ask you a question. Do you know anybody in your sphere of influence who is chasing after the things of this world? The list is really, really long. But just to name a few, money, sex, relationships, alcohol, material things. And they just wind up feeling empty. Because these things do not satisfy you. They don't. Do you know someone who needs to hear about this gift? This gift from God that leads to eternal life. Or maybe that's you. Maybe you came in here this morning. You feel like you're running on empty. Maybe, maybe you have thoughts. Is this all there is? Collecting a paycheck. Like, is that all there is? Like, don't get me wrong. I, I totally get the idea of being debt-free and having financial stability and, and a good firm foundation to live your life. Like, that's important. Those are good things. We should want and desire those things. But not, not in the sense that if I have those things, I'll be full. If I have those things, then I'll really pursue God. If I have those things, then I can really have joined the Lord. Because those become idols. And God is saying to us in His Word, I'm the one who brings fullness of life. I'm the one who can give you joy. Because if you trust in me, you will have fullness in life. And the best part is he walks with us and helps us navigate through those things. So if you came here this morning, whether that's relationships that you're pursuing, we often think if I could just find that relationship, just get that job. Please hear me. I, I think those are good things. But not when we place them in front of God. And here's what the world likes to do to us. It likes to chew us up and spit us out. The world does not care about us. The world doesn't love us. The world doesn't value us. That's a lie from the devil to think that. We have got to look to the source of all of life, the one who offers living water, the one who can satisfy our deepest longings. His name is Jesus, and in this story, he's offering this to this woman. We've got to stop chasing after the things of this world as if they are better and more sufficient than Jesus Christ. So Jesus addresses the very thing that's keeping this woman from the fullness of life that God intends for her to have. And, and know this, Jesus did not expose this woman's insecurities only to turn her away, only to offer her a three-step process on how to get right with God you need to go find the right people, people who really love me, and then you need to spend time with them, and you need to see the way they live, and you need to start to live the way they live. He didn't say to her, go and find a Bible and start to read my word and really understand it. He didn't go and say, find a small group and get you know, acclimated with those people, and then when you've done all that, come back, and then we're going to have a real conversation about how you can become a new person. Jesus does not say that to her. He does not expose 
who we are in our sin and in ourselves. The things that hurt the most, only to turn us away and offer a three-step process on how to get right with Him. This woman was probably the last person on the earth that the disciples thought Jesus would go and encounter that day. And it's this woman that Jesus is right off the bat offering her the gift of God. By His grace, by His power, by His authority, He offers us new life in Him. And nothing is owed in return. We would just trust in Him. He will make us a new creation. The old is gone, and behold, a new has come. That is the grace of God. And so He looks at this woman, Jesus. He goes against the grain of His culture, and He offers her an alternative. He offers her a better way, a new life in Him. And so Jesus and this woman, they continue on in their conversation, the dialogue they're having, and, and they start to talk about worship. And so Jesus says, you know what, worship, it's, it's not going to be in, at a designated place anymore. That's not going to matter most. The Jews worshiped in the temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans worshiped on, on some mountain. And Jesus is saying, it's not about designation. True worshipers, people who really love me, people who really want to worship me, they're going to worship me in spirit and in truth, because God is spirit. And then the woman said to him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to you, or to her, I who speak to you am he. So by the end of their conversation, this woman knows and believes that Jesus is the Christ. And here's what's fascinating to me. The last place that Jesus' disciples expected them to go was in Samaria. But if Jesus didn't go through Samaria, he wouldn't have encountered this woman. And let me just tell you, and someone needs to hear this this morning, before the foundation of the world, Jesus knew that he would go through Samaria to meet this woman. Because he is the creator God of all things. Like Jesus knitted that woman in her mother's wombs, and he knitted you and me in our mother's wombs. Like before the foundation of the world, before God created the heavens and the earth, he knew us. He knew the plans he had for our lives. And he knew that all of you would be here in this moment, sitting in the very seat you're sitting in. God knows who you are. He created you. He is your creator. And before the world ever existed, before it was formed, God knew you. And he knew this woman. And so John shows us in this story and throughout his whole gospel that Jesus is sovereign over all things. He knows all things. Somebody needs to hear this. He knows your deepest, most inner being. He knows it. And were he to expose it through his word, it's for a reason. And it is out of the depth of his love for you. Because he is the only one who can rebuild a person from the inside out. Who can cleanse a person from within. Who can create a new person out of the old. By giving them a new spirit. His spirit. Living water, he calls it. There are people out there today. Maybe they're your neighbors. Maybe they're your friends or coworkers, etc., your family members. There are people out there today who are just trying to get from one day to the next. And Jesus, they're just trying to survive. That's the truth. And Jesus is offering us more than surviving. He's offering us a new life. One word. We can have full satisfaction in Him. Because those who are far from God, oftentimes the people that God wants us closest to. So I, I know that 
Hillcrest Christian Church is in a season of transition. And I have no idea what any of you are thinking, what you're feeling, what you're worried about, what you're concerned about, what you're anxious about, what your fears are. I don't know what your hopes are, what your vision for this church might be, what your dreams might be for the future. But here's what I do know. The gospel is still urgent, and Jesus' command is still clear. Go out and make disciples of all nations. So what now? The title I actually gave this sermon was Purpose Your Proximity. Purpose Your Proximity. I want to be so totally surrendered to God that He can work through me in ways that can bring people close to Him. That's what I want most in my life, that I would be totally surrendered to Him. That He can work through me to bring others close to Him. That's the beauty of life. The greatness of our God is that He lives in us and gives us the opportunity to do that. God, I believe, has given me a desire and a passion and a dream to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I am so passionate about that. For people who have never heard the gospel, who have no scripture in their language, I want to play a part in getting it to them. I believe that's a God-given desire. And I want to go so badly, you can ask my wife. (laughs) I sometimes pray, and she has no idea I'm praying that we'll go. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that where God has my wife and I right now, that there's not an amazing... There's not amazing opportunities for ministry. Where God has us placed right now, there are opportunities for us to engage those who are far from Him so that they can be near to Him. So purpose, our proximity. The definition of proximity is nearness in space, time, or relationship. Right? Who around you is far from God? Because God wants them near to Him. They were designed to know Him. They were created to know Him. We've got to know that. We've got to be reminded of that. I want to tell you that I was one of those people once. I was far from God. I was empty inside. And it wasn't even that long ago. And I used to think, is this all there is? I really, really thought, is this all there is to life? And I was stuck in my own sin, my own selfishness, living apart from God. Not living, obviously, for Jesus. And I knew nothing of this free gift. I believed in God, whatever that meant, but I had no knowledge of Him, and I literally had no idea about this free gift of eternal life. But you know what? I had some friends who loved me, who cared enough for me to invite me to church. And they prayed for me. And they didn't give up on me. And you know what? They were within my proximity. And I got to go to church. I accepted an invitation. And one day, one morning, I heard the free gift of eternal life. I heard the gospel 28 years old, wandering in this world without God, and all of a sudden, God opened my eyes, or my ears and my eyes, and I heard the gospel. And my whole life changed. And all it was was an invitation by friends who were within my proximity, or who were within their proximity. And I heard the good news that I could have a new life. I could become a new creation. That the old me, all of the terrible, horrible things that I said and did, is just gone in an instant. In an instant of belief. And all of a sudden, I walked out of that building a brand new person, a new creation. That is the gift of God. So, there's a family in in our apartments where me and my wife live. And this woman, she has six kids. Well, the other, a couple of weeks ago, actually, we invited those kids over, plus another kid from the neighborhood, over to watch a movie with us. Um, We had their mom's approval, by the way. Um, 
But we fed these kids pizza, and we watched the movie Elf with them. I mean, I think the ages were from 9 to 17. And then as we sent them back home, we, you know what we did? We invited them to church, a bunch of kids. And we did the next day, my wife and I went to their mom, and we invited her to church. And you know what happened? They came on Christmas Eve, that woman and all six of her kids. You know, there's another woman in, in my apartments. I won't give you any names, but this woman, she's, she's a widow. She's a little older, and um, she lost her husband, I think, almost 30 years ago at a young age in their 20s. They had three daughters. Ten years ago, she lost one of her daughters to that same disease. Her closest family, four hours away. Now, this woman, she, she dealt with alcoholism for a long time. She's been sober for quite some time. And this woman, she, she doesn't like crowds. She works at night. But I feel like this woman, she's let me in. And I've had several conversations with her. I saw her one morning around Christmas. Just ran into her. She gave me a big hug. Big smile on her face. And I've gotten to know this woman's story. I got to share her my story. And you know what? She's within my proximity. And I believe that my God wants to reach her. There's another woman in our apartments. This woman just lost her husband three weeks ago. She's now a widow by herself. I don't know if she's connected to a church. I don't think she is. I don't know that she knows Jesus. But she's within my proximity. So my wife and I, we're going to invite her in. We're going to get to know her story. Because I believe God wants to reach her. And then, my friend Obed, who was actually here, he brought all of his daughters. I met Obed a couple of months ago. I invited Obed to church, and Obed came. And Obed has come every single week up until this week. On Christmas Eve, Obed, he brought two of his sisters to church, his whole family. You know what Obed told me? Um, when he came to visit our church for the first time, it was Obed's first time in his life to attend a Christian church. And Obed and I, like a week and a half ago, we opened up God's Word, and we just went through it. We just talked about it. We grew together in Christ. Because that's what life's about. And so let me ask you, do you know the story of your neighbors? Like, who's in your proximity? Who can you invest in? Who can you pray for? Who can you reach out to? Invite into your home and let them see the gospel through your family. Who can you share the gift of God with? And let them see that our God is a good God. Let them see that our God is faithful. And pray, just pray, pray without ceasing that they would know this gift of God. That through Jesus Christ, their lives can be full, that their lives can be whole, that they can be made a new creation in an instant of belief. So back to this woman. This woman, she encounters Christ, the the Son of the living God. This woman that day had no idea she was going to encounter Jesus. And sometimes, if you think about it, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, they have the opportunity to encounter God through you. And the question becomes, do they know Him yet? They have you. You have God living in you. So this woman, she went to the well that day, and she was empty, and she was dry, and she was just all washed up and feeling just defeated and alone. And Jesus tells her everything that she ever did. And you know what? When that woman left the well that day, she was full. She came to the well empty and she left full. And what did she do? 
Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away. She just left her, her water there and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. And jump down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed because of her testimony they believed. He told me everything that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So this woman, she, she runs to the townspeople. The, the very people that she's avoided. The very people that drove her out. And you know what? Her heart bursts with joy. I met a man who, who told me everything that I ever did. And you know what? He didn't condemn me. He didn't look at me like I was less than him. Like I was nothing. He loved me. And he gave me my life back. I'm alive again, this woman is saying. And you know what happened? They all believed. Then they went to Jesus. A woman who was once dead, now full of life. God used this woman to reach so many people. And here's what I love. Oftentimes, it's the most unlikeliest of people and the most unlikeliest of places that God has a sight set on. So you and I, we need to be obedient. And we need to purpose our proximity. Because the people who are furthest from God are oftentimes the people that God wants us closest to. So I want to read this last scripture, and then I just want to have ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes as I pray. And I tried this when I was at camp last summer, speaking to junior high and high school kids, and half the room kept looking at me. It was super awkward. So if you would just humor me as I pray over you, I would love to do that. This is Jesus' word. This is God's word speaking to you. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for this opportunity to get to proclaim your word. God, I want to ask, I just want to speak to a, a couple of different people in the room. Like, if there's anyone in this room who came in here this morning, you, you don't know that you have this gift, that you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you said a prayer, but you, you don't know that you, you have this gift. I, I want to pray specifically for you right now. I want to pray, God, that you, would, that you would move all the distractions, that you would take away all the things that have left them, dry and, and empty, and God, that you would fill them with your spirit right now. God, that you'd speak your word into them. If, if, if your word has spoken to them, God, I, I pray, I pray that they would take a next step, that they would talk to someone, that they would receive your Holy Spirit, this free gift of eternal life. And God, I pray for anyone who has come in here this morning. Maybe they have received this gift. Maybe they've said a prayer. Maybe they've, they've followed Jesus throughout the years, but maybe their next step is baptism. What a beautiful and incredible way solidify their faith through baptism. And God, I pray over those people now that you'd speak truth into their lives and into their hearts. And Father, lastly, I just want to say, God, help us as your church to go and engage those who are far from you because that is precisely the people that you want near to you. We love you, God. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.